Hi, I'm Mark Gallagher. You're listening to the Everything F1 podcast, driven by the fans, for the fans. Today we're talking about the fantastic race weekend we had in Brazil. We're also previewing the Qatar Grand Prix, all with Mark Gallagher. He's also giving away one of his books, signed by him and David Coulthard. So find out how to get your hands on that by staying tuned. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast. Today, we're going to chat about the absolutely fantastic weekend that we've just witnessed in Brazil. And we're going to have a quick chat to one of our previous guests, Mark Gallagher, who's come to join us today. Hi, Mark. How are you today? Um, really good, James. Good to be uh, with you. Very nice to join the team after, uh, you know, a pretty quiet weekend in Sao Paulo, really, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, quiet. Yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly a word for it. <laughs> um, well, we'll talk about that in a second. You're also here to promote your book as well. Um, you've got a, a book, either a second edition release that you've got or a, a book that you're willing yeah. to promote. Uh, do you want to have a quick, yeah. a quick kind of chat about that? Um, gosh, book promotion. Uh, right, well, I have to remember what my publisher told me to say. Um, so, yeah, so The Business of Winning, uh, Transformation from Formula One to the Boardroom. Uh, or insights and transformation from Formula One to the boardroom. So um, I wrote a book back in 2013 and it did very well, but actually was a bit of a rush job. So the publisher came back to me two years ago and said, we really love an updated version. So I effectively scrapped the first book wow. and spent lockdown rewriting this. And it's actually written in a format to be kind of easily <laughs> digestible because I simply chose 12 business topics, and I'll, I'll explain why they're business topics. I chose 12 business topics from Formula One, and effectively each chapter is a kind of 7,500-word essay on that particular topic. And the reason they're all business topics is that my day job is I speak to uh, companies all over the world, uh, lots of uh, corporate clients mm -hmm. um, pretty well every week. I work with a, a number of of drivers bring some drivers with me to these events and we talk about what companies can learn from formula one but i mean for fans for those listening um i think there's also some insights in the book which they might find really interesting particularly if you if you're interested in a career in formula one there's there's kind of insights on kind of how the whole thing works from a business perspective and even if you're if you've no interest in actually working in the team but you just love following Formula One. What I've tried to do is uh, encapsulate a kind of helicopter view of what's happening in the industry. For example, why the growth of esports is really important for Formula mm. One, uh, why diversity and inclusion is a really big topic, and why Lewis Hamilton's campaigning is not boring but actually incredibly important, yeah. Um, yeah. and and things like that. So that's essentially the book. It's published by Kogan Page. Um, it's available on Amazon. Uh, you can also buy it directly from Kogan Page. And um, what I can do is recommend it if you register with the Kogan Page website, that's K-O-G-A-N page, Kogan Page, they actually will give you straight away a 15% discount on the book if you buy it directly from them. Um, and that's a pretty handy way of getting a discount. So 
that's the book in a nutshell. Wow. Okay. I'm I'm looking forward to to reading a, a bit of your insight. If it, if it's anything like <laughs> the insight that you gave us in the last podcast, uh, I'm sure it'll be very very interesting. Also, alongside us today from the Everything F1 team, we do have Cara and Coops. Hi, hi, Cara. How are you? I'm really good. I'm very excited to talk about Brazil because um, it was so exciting, and obviously so excited that Mark's here. I mean, putting that book on my Christmas <laughs> list just sounds perfect. Yeah, <laughs> that's very kind of you to say, so Cara. No, that's all right. Yeah, it sounds great. I mean, I'm a big fan of Formula One, but I think because I'm sort of in the broadcast communications field, you always think you'd love to work in it as well. So something like that. Yeah, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know what? It's also refreshing to come on a podcast where there's actually a woman. And, uh, you know, (laughs) I I have to tell you, this this is something that... You know, David Coulthard, I'm sorry to name drop, but he wrote the forward for my book and we do a lot of work together. David and I often comment on how many podcasts and things you get invited mm. on. And it's just a bunch of guys chatting, you know. And, um, uh, you know, my, I can tell you, Cara, my 24-year-old daughter, Laura, she just beats me over the head whenever I start down this, uh, you know, boy's own route of Formula One. And she's, uh, and of course, she's absolutely right. And that's a, another reason why, you know, that chapter on the book became important to me. So it's nice to have the opportunity to chat to you. Thank you. And we've also got Coops, which you met, who you met before, uh, Mark. Hi, Coops. Hello, yeah. how is Hello. you? Yeah, I'm very good. Very good. Thank you very much for asking. First, we are obviously Everything F1. We are driven by fans for the fans, and you can find us on all social media platforms. And, of course, our website, www.everythingf1.com. So, can I have a three-line review of the Brazil weekend as a whole, <laughs> if it's possible to even squeeze all the stuff that happened in into three lines? Uh, we'll go to Mark first, put you straight on the spot. Well, okay. First line, an epic performance from Lewis Hamilton, which reminds us all why he's a seven-times world champion. Second line, uh, what a... Great defence by Max mm-hmm. up until the point where it all went a little bit, a little bit over the edge and caused a moment of controversy, but a good salvage from him. And then, really, third of all, I have to say, it kind of is the penny that's finally dropped for me completely on the fact that I love sprint qualifying. Um, I have, I've been quite enjoying it, and now I've decided I actually really like the fact that it throws an unpredictable edge into the weekend. Okay, excellent. That's a, that's a good three three lines. Uh, we'll go to Cara. Have you got th- three lines for you, uh, for, for your, your thoughts on the weekend? So, my three lines. Hamilton is the GOAT, which <laughs> that's what us kids say, is the, the greatest of all time. Yeah, just completely asserted himself and I was going to say how Toto goes rogue I just thought he was hilarious (laughs) this weekend with all the you know F them and yeah he was mad one and then I was just the fight is on till the end you know I think we were all sort of talking um James changed his background to Max last week he thought it was all over for Lewis and it's back on yeah Yeah. well it it very much looked that way last week um but this weekend it's all to play for again. Uh, so and that's what the beauty of this season has delivered, really. Uh, we, we, it's, it's very difficult to guess. Uh, we'll go to Coops now. What, what's your three-line review uh, of, of the weekend in Brazil? Kind of hard when Mark and Cara kind of took all my lines. I don't think I've got much <laughs> different. Uh, uh, Hamilton Masterclass, 
Ferrari have pretty much got third. Uh, and I don't know how a third line this sprint is actually quite good. Okay. That was a bad call for you, Coops, making you go third. <laughs> I was struggling to think of a third one, but I was a bit, from the, the get-go, I thought the sprint, to gimmick, don't like it. It's not where it should be in Formula <laughs> 1, and then I've kind of had to think, actually, in every race we've had a sprint, something's happened, and it's kind of been mm. what Formula 1 wanted to do, and it's given Friday a purpose. It's still weird sitting watching qualifying on a Friday evening, but... It, it is. Yeah, I can see how it brings in and how all the um, all the tracks next year all put in to have a sprint. You can see why that is the case because, well, clearly it makes it a three day event and they'll make a a lot more money that way, wouldn't they? Yeah, Mark, were you skeptical about the sprint to start with then? Because listening to everyone, I feel like I was like, yeah, another thing from the beginning. But I suppose for you guys, a bit more not sure. I'm one of those dreadful people who hates every change. <laughs> Ah. Um, and can think of 20 reasons why it shouldn't happen. And then about two months later, I'm the one running around going, yeah, well, I, I always <laughs> knew this would be the best thing ever uh, for Formula One. Um, I mean, for example, um, I mean, uh, the halo, I totally hated the halo because of its aesthetics, mm. but I absolutely knew from, um, sorry, name dropping again, chatting to Charlie Whiting about it, that, you know, all the evidence was there that this was the right thing to do, and here we are. No one even no, no one even questions that anymore because, well, frankly, it saved the life of several drivers in Formula One and beyond. Um, and with the sprint, I had a sneaking suspicion it might work because I owned a team for ten years which competed in uh, GP two, uh, Stadium Grand Prix, and. Um, GP3 and before that we did A1GP and in A1GP we had a sprint race and a feature mm. race and we actually we, we came to love that format and um, my team won the championship in 2009 and we we, we actually began to realise that you treat it as like a two part weekend and the sprint becomes a kind of run into the feature if you like so actually when I saw what had happened to Lewis and we'll talk about the the controversies at the weekend at the moment, I'm sure. But when I saw what had happened to Lewis after Friday, um, I kind of thought to myself, well, Mercedes will take this as a two-part race. Saturday, it just happens to be a very long pit stop on Saturday night. You know, it's essentially a two-part race. They will think about how do they strategize mm -hmm. for him to win this thing. And that's what he went and did. So I think the sprint is... You know, that's why that's why I think starting from a base of thinking the sprint might be quite good, I absolutely... I've fallen for it, but fair play to you, Cara. If you knew that it was going to be good straight away, then you know you can take all the credit. <laughs> I suppose I just thought, yeah, anything that makes it more exciting, and we've said it already, yeah. but it makes Friday more of an event. You know, for the fans, it's yeah. it's, it's adding even more. I I, yeah. I still don't think it's the finished kind of polished article. I think there's some something that needs to be done for it. Yeah, I think it almost needs to count for more points, or then you know be more available for not just coming first, second and third. I think, yeah, you're right. It needs a bit of tweaking till they find the premium where it's going mm. to fit in. What, what, what do you think, Mark? Do you think maybe points for the top 10, maybe it's just 10 to 1, 10 points to 1, down to 1 point, and then you might get a few more kind of interesting battles in the midfield? Well, I'm going to be kind of, um, I'm going to cut things down the middle and say, you know, it might be quite a nice nod to tradition, by giving points just to the first six, six yeah. and the six. Po and the points that used to be awarded, you know, for 
the top six, you know, nine, six, uh, quite a few more points, in other mm. words. Uh, because when you watch up, you, know, you watch Valtteri Bottas go and do what he did on Saturday, and then he comes away with a, a pretty ungenerous three points. Um, you just feel they're not being that generous about what's happening on Saturday. And I get that. They want the main event to be Sunday. And there continues to be this kind of confusion around what is the sprint? Is it qualifying? Is it the sprint? What you know, what what are they mm. doing? Why don't they have a proper podium ceremony? And then and then you get into the whole what's the point of the practice session on Saturday morning? You know, this kind of there's a kind of whole question mark around how much we all get out of that. I mean, we know the teams get lots out of it in terms of data, but so that yeah, there's a few, as you say, untidy loose ends to be uh, brought in place. But as an overall concept, I think it's it seems to be winning. Excellent. Well, let's talk about the weekend then, because you don't want to be talking about the sprint the whole the whole time. But obviously, the the, <laughs> the the sprint was part of the weekend. Now it seemed like everything was against Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton this weekend to try and stop him having any kind of modicum of chance uh, to win the, the rest of the championship. Uh, and they overcame it, it all. Uh, what's your... We'll, we'll go to Mark again, because uh, okay, we don't get you here often. So um, what, what's your kind of perspective okay. on the whole disqualification of Lewis? Um, obviously, there was that 0.2 millimetre gap on the right-hand side, not the centre or the, or the left-hand side. Uh, yeah, it, it's such a very fine margin. Um, thoughts? Did you see? I didn't, don't know if you saw my tweet about three things that measure 0.2 millimeters. Did I you didn't, see that? Sorry. <laughs> okay, so I want to hear it now, though. Yeah, so I, yeah. Ju- I, ju- I literally, Cara, I literally googled what measures 0.2 millimeters, like in the mm. world, and the three things that came up were false eyelashes. Um, which I'm, is extraordinary. False eyelashes, latex. I'm personally not into <laughs> latex, but latex, um, and aluminium kitchen foil. Wow. And I actually thought about that. I actually tweeted them because I think that's quite a good way of putting perspective on just how small is small. And when you consider that it was only at one part of the wing, you can, you know, it wasn't that way in the middle, and it wasn't that way on the other side. It was just at one part of the wing. You do start to get an insight into just how angry Mercedes-Benz were about the whole process, mm. uh, not just the final judgment, but the entire process um, around that. So, yeah, it was that's quite a that was quite a judgment call to make, highly controversial. Um, and Mercedes did kind of quite well. They issued a few press statements and were all terribly professional about it to begin with. <laughs> And then, as you say, Cara, Toto just lost it. He was just like, sorry, you know, all the gloves are off. The diplomacy's over. Uh, this is now kind of all out war. Um, and, you know, he has been right. He's been careful to say, look, I know the stewards have a difficult job to do. But actually, I think what he really feels is, that the, you know, the stewards and the FIA officials really need to take a long, hard look at what happened and ask themselves the question, was that correct, given that what then happened in the race on Sunday was a kind of just let them race moment? Um, so which is it? Is it is it 0.2 millimetres we're going to fall out over that, or is it actually Max can you know, open the steering on Lewis uh, at turn four? So there was just a, so much that came out of that, which you can understand the annoyance of Mercedes. But what I will say is that 
I have this really strong belief that the more the chips are down, the more drama is injected into this year's World Championship, the more Lewis Hamilton's strengths come to the fore and the support that he gets from his team, including Valtteri, including, you know, just that whole structure around mm. them. And that's not to say that Max doesn't have huge inner focus and a great team around him, but... You know, we are really getting into the chips are down territory and we then see Lewis produce something which, you know, people will be talking about many years to come. Well, I mean, this weekend alone, he did something that people were talking about for a long time. You know, it started from the back in a sprint race from 20th, uh, getting all the way down to 5th. Uh, within 24 laps and then obviously with another with, with another five place grid penalty on the race itself uh, gets into the third place position within six laps it's just <laughs> these 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 statistics you, you, i i could be making this up and you but you you'd, if you didn't watch it yourself you'd be like nah you're lying it, it didn't happen that, that that no way that happened I'm interested in hearing Coop's take on it, on on uh, what we've just said about about the rules. Yeah, you were kind of like, uh, I think from the messaging that we had back and forth, you were like, well, it, it failed the rules, so let's play devil, devil's advocate here. Rules are rules. He, that it's broken the rules, so therefore they should adhere yes. to it, and they should have been disqualified. Well, there's no the rules are the rules, uh, and once it was deemed that it, uh, it wasn't passing the rules. And because it's a technical regulation, there isn't any leeway. It's not like like a sporting uh, code or a sporting thing where Max get fined and you know there's monetary things or there's you know you could give him a five second penalty, ten second stop and go. It's a technical regulation and a very hard line. Uh, as Mark will probably attest mm. to over the years that when it's technical stuff, they all hit you hard. And yes, it's zero point two millimeter. But I mean, even Formula One came out and said, look. It's 0.2 out because it's probably a broken part. We know that, but it's still 0.2 <laughs> out. So once it got mm. there, it was like, yeah. I'm sorry, we don't really have a choice. I, I kind of think that's kind of the meeting we had. Look, mate, I'm- it, honestly, Coops, I couldn't agree with you more. In fact, the more I read the press statement, it was an incredibly long press statement from the FIA about the disqualification. It felt like the worst breakup letter of all time. <laughs> they were basically, it's not me, it's you. Yeah, they, they were kind of saying, you know, look, it's not really you. It's kind of me. It's kind of like, yeah. it's not It's really, guys, you know, we understand, like, we're completely on your side, but actually, and you kind of got to the point, they're like, spit it out. What are you saying here? And honestly, I mean, I'd love to know, Cara, your view on this, because when I heard that Lewis's wing gap, you know, DRS gap, was illegal. I'm thinking, oh, my God, you know, it's an, it's opening five centimetres too much. You know, it's like it's this is completely explaining his straight line speed. It's just like it's going to be so embarrassing for Mercedes to explain this. And I'm thinking, yeah, it's got to be opening, you know, it's, you know, it's 90 millimetres or it's, you know, it's, you know, whatever it is, you know, 0.2 on one side. <laughs> I mean, please. I mean, you know, they're just like, you kind of feel that, and again, I can say this being an older guy, you know, following F1 too long, um, you know, in the older days, I think people might have sat down, had a bottle of wine and said, listen, you know, this is not a good idea. But I completely get, Coops is right. You know, it's bi- it is binary in the regulations. You're either legal or not or not legal. You're either in the regulation or out of, reg- out of the regulation. 
and it's a bit it's a bit like a pregnancy test you know you either are or you are not you, know, you can't have you can't have you can't have a graded scale of illegality mm. and so they made the that they made that call but my word did that kind of backfire so i'm i'm interested Cara, what you thought you know how the whole thing kind of developed i think that you know what coops has said it's one of those things it is the rules but were they gaining any sort of advantage from having 0.2 millimeters, you know, like you said, the thickness of a false eyelash at one end, whereas was Max gaining an advantage from, you know, not not steering into the, the corner and pushing Lewis off? Yes, he was. Was Lewis gaining an advantage from that? I think that's almost the frustration with it. Um, mm. And I think, you know, we can go back and forth and be like rules and rules. Um, and I reading the totes from the quotes, even from Toto, he was like, it was just like we were getting punched in the face again and again. <laughs> um, and I can completely understand that. But I think it's one of those things where you'll probably look back and be like, what made this race so amazing was that Lewis did get disqualified and that he started from the yeah. back and that it was so controversial. And yeah. we never would have had, you know, this incredible race that we are going to talk about for years if that hadn't happened so i'm sort of trying to see it from that point of view but i think like you say the fia might think twice in the future but then i was also thinking imagine if you know they'd let it slide and christian horner's reaction imagine if he'd found out about that yeah he always makes me laugh um with the politics of it all but, yeah <laughs> but it's it's such an interesting point isn't it that um i was talking to a client earlier on today um and, you know, they're not even huge Formula One fans, but they've gotten into Formula One this year because uh, of the duel between uh, Lewis and Max. And then they were saying to me, and then there's this really interesting duel between Toto Wolf and Christian Horner. And yeah. and it's like they seem to hate each other. And, um, you know, there's and it, it's, it's added a whole new dimension, hasn't it, to the championship? I mean, we used to have rivalry between team bosses in the past, but, I mean, they're, you know, I just... Christian obviously has a strategy, which is to try and wind Toto up by saying, you didn't really lead Mercedes to success. You inherited the team, you know, when you joined uh, the team. You know, you just, you're kind of a, a Johnny-come-lately team boss type thing. Um, and then you've got Toto just kind of sort of metaphorically shaking his head or maybe literally shaking his head at, at pretty well everything that comes out of Christian's mouth. So it's, um, it is extraordinary, the whole thing. But I... Uh, I you know, one, one question that I've been sort of puzzling over is, um, you know, we live in a world where the teams provide all the data to the FIA. Um, they have to provide data to the FIA. Uh, and, the and of course, Formula One itself has Ross Braun and Steve Nielsen and Pat Simmons working for them. And there's actually more capability now in Formula One, the company, and within the FIA than there has ever been. And you wonder... You know, if they ran a simulation, if they were able to run a simulation on what does it mean having a wing that's not 0.2 millimetres, you know, out of place at one end, what what does that mean? The simulation might actually prove it makes the car worse. I mean, you don't know. It's It might be a night, might be a flipping nightmare. Well, it's and unbalanced for I think a star, it is really it? ironic. Yeah, I mean, and it's really ironic, isn't it, that, you know, everyone was saying, oh, they're trying to, they're trying to screw over Lewis Hamilton. Actually, it turned out to be the biggest motivator the guys probably ever had. You know, it was sensational. Maybe they should wind him up more on a Friday afternoon and win every race. <laughs> yeah, and there was that there was that part in the uh, part in the race as well on his on his comeback drive where obviously he overtook Max Verstappen momentarily and they got they got pushed off the track as Cara has alluded to, uh, where where they got yeah. on the radio afterwards and he and he was like. 
of course. Yeah, they said, oh, no, no investigation needed. And he was like, <laughs> oh, of course there isn't. Yeah, of course there isn't. Kind of very yeah. sarcastic response and kind of, yeah, just head down, get to business. Yeah. They should have had, F1 should have emojis to reflect the radio uh, communications. They could have just posted a massive eye roll from Lewis <laughs> to coincide with that moment. But it was a, a masterclass of a drive. It's probably one of the one or one of his best drives uh, in his career, and, and nobody would argue that he certainly didn't deserve that, that that weekend after everything that the FIA and Red Bull uh, were trying to throw at them. Um, but that Mercedes car is fast now. Have they done something <laughs> in the last couple of weeks and the last couple of races that's really kind of brought forward the speed of that machine? Well, I think you know what's pretty clear is that. As we've seen, there's been quite a lot of strategizing around increasing their engine pool, mm. and they've taken they've taken some penalties and they've introduced uh, components into the engine pool in what is now the closing stages of the championship. And you can be sure that every decision that's made to do that is really, really carefully calculated. I'm pleased to say that some of my former colleagues at Colesworth uh, now work for uh, Mercedes uh, High Performance Powertrains in Bricksworth. And I'm, th I'm actually thinking of one particular engineer who's very, very senior there. He worked uh, for me at Colesworth, was very much a, a right-hand man. I mean, the guy's a genius. And if you said to him, uh, can you take this engine and here's the things we need to do with it. You know, we need, we need to run really massively hard on that day in that session and then we need a race where perhaps we run it a little bit more conservatively because at the next race we need to absolutely go for it and let's be clear coming into Interlagos Mercedes had obviously decided that the key the, the key part of the circuit for them was that run up the hill mm. and down the pit straight they just they needed to have the traction and the acceleration out of that lower corner that we just slingshot Lewis up behind people and if he didn't get them into turn one he was going to have closed on them so rapidly that he would definitely have DRS for the run down to turn four and that's why Mike Max's defense ultimately became you know impossible to continue because he was only quicker than Lewis in the mid sector two or three tenths up in the mid sector but it was always going to be the case that once Lewis got a proper run at him that he would come past and I think that's why you saw what I now call, you know, the Gandalf defense, you know, thou shalt not pass, <laughs> which Max is applying every, you know, whenever, whenever Lewis comes up behind him, you know, he's just like, you're not coming past Lewis or we're going to have an accident. And the trouble is Lewis is the literally the last person on this planet uh, in certainly in Formula One, who's going to be intimidated by anyone. Mm. I mean, his life story is all about not being intimidated by anyone. So Max, that's a flawed strategy. And Unless Max is, Max ultimately wants to follow the dare I say it Schumacher Senna route of winning, trying to win championships by having collisions, and I say that as a diehard Schumacher fan, <laughs> um, you know the reality is that I don't think is the right way to try and win this win, win any championship. And so, you know, in a straight fight, we saw what happened this weekend. But you know, Red Bull should just be digging deeper, and I think Mercedes, yeah, they're definitely you know got all of that collective smart engineering capability together and they've worked out how can we just increase that capability over these remaining races to 
try and take this championship down to the wire. And my word, they reversed their fortunes this weekend. They absolutely did. It was a, a, a absolutely crazy but really enjoyable um even all three sessions were, were just so great um to watch um well let's talk about max then uh Coops, we'll go to you first max ha- had a great race in terms of his defense he was you know very very skilled and keep, uh, keeping Lewis hind behind for as much as he could obviously overtaking bottas at the start as well um because he he didn't uh, put it plant it on pole for the sprint so he had he had some overtaking to do, but also had some strong defending to do. Yeah, Max has shown that he's a proper racer. Well, if he doesn't win this championship, he's going to win some in the future. Uh, mm. I think Red Bull knew pretty clearly that the Mercedes were rapid. As soon as he put a lap in in the first proper lap round into Lagos, they thought, oh, okay, yep. So it's the, they turn the page on the playbook that says damage limitation and start working out their strategy from that. Uh, I don't think he needed to pass Bottas because Bottas does what Bottas does. He's rapid on Saturday, then goes to the race and just kind of doesn't do something he shouldn't have done or opens the door to let Max through when he should have been defending or keeps it a wee bit too open on the outside of Mexico or something. So I don't think that was going to be much of a fight. Uh, he, he did the best he could uh, with the speed of the... Uh, with the speed difference between the Mercedes and the Red Bull. I mean, the, the, the Mercedes, as Matt's going to talk about with the engine, the, when you get a brand new uh, engine in the car, you're always going to have that power boost because it's brand new. And the biggest problem that I've, when I was looking through stuff for tonight, the Mercedes engine seems to degrade faster than the Honda, which is part of right. the reason why they've had to take extra ones. And then if it gets finished, we're going to the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, which is the second fastest <laughs> racetrack. I think it's, it's the average in speed in a street circuit of over 160 miles an hour, which is one of the fastest racetracks on the calendar, let alone street circuit, I think. Yeah, it's quick, but can you overtake? That's the, that's no. the big question mark, isn't it? <laughs> no. I mean, EA Sports have managed to finish that quicker than the actual organisers, because uh, it's, it's on the game. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, the, I mean, it's Max did the best he could, and to to see the difference as soon as he got passed in the race, I think he was about eight seconds behind Hamilton before you could even before you even realised it. Mm. Uh, he knew, I think he knew from the get go. The minute that Hamilton gets into second, he's like, I'll hold him off as much as I can, but unless he gets held up and it's maybe a couple of laps to the end. When he gets into second, then he's, he knew, I think he knew in the back of his head, like, well, I'm not really one this if Hamilton's behind me. Hmm. And it worked out that way. Well, Cara, well, I'm gonna, I want to talk to you about the uh, the teammates of the front two championship contenders. Um, Perez has been an excellent uh, number two driver, uh, an excellent teammate this year, um, especially over the last couple of races for Max. Uh, and, and Bottas is... He did well this time, uh, but obviously he he had that that kind of yeah, he left open the door on in Austin. Um, which which of the two do you think you'd rather have on your team? <laughs> oh, that is a difficult question. I think you know I actually would rather have Bottas still. <laughs> I think you know you're saying Perez has been good, but he's only been good recently. Um, and. He's, obviously Bottas did make you know Max was able to overtake him on the opening straight but I feel like in a teammate you want someone consistent and you want someone mm. reliable 
Um, and speaking of that, I just wanted to mention the Ferrari drivers because they are sort of the premium of consistency. And I was thinking about how amazing it would be if, you know, they do get in a championship winning car because with Mercedes and Red Bull, you have a clear number one and you have a clear number two. And obviously Charles Leclerc is Ferrari's baby. Um, but him and Carlos Sainz are neck and neck. And I think it would just be so amazing to see them both at the top and both fighting for it because I don't think Ferrari could, although, you know, they probably would, um, put them in that wingman and frontman positions. And I think it would just bring, yeah, a, a, a new, something new that we've not seen before with, yeah, those two right at the top. Mark, can you can you comment on that? Yeah, I think, Cara, that unfortunately, Carlos Sainz would find himself in the wingman position faster than you can say top gun. Yeah. Yeah, Ferrari um, is known I mean, for that, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just like, you know, the interesting thing is I've, over the years I've seen quite a few driver contracts and, you know, your contract might say that you get a equal status, but what you don't realise is that your teammate's contract explicitly says you are the number one driver in the team. So although you might get equal treatment in terms of equipment, there will come a point where it will tip over. And, I mean, I agree with you. I think Carlos and Charles are, you know, two superb drivers. I just, I think the Sainz family are heroes to me. You know, the, the Carlos Senior, Senior and Junior, fa fantastic family and, and amazing uh, athletes and drivers. But... You know, Charles is unquestionably the golden boy at Ferrari. And I think, you know, they've held themselves well. And as, as uh, you said, Coops, earlier on, you know, they got themselves into a position in recent races where they're beginning to nail that third place in the championship. And it seems like Ferrari have r raised their game at a point where McLaren seemed to be, you know, dropping away. And when I saw Daniel r retiring into the garage on Sunday, I just thought, Wow, it, you know, when it starts to go wrong, it really does go wrong, doesn't it? So, yeah, I agree with you. But I, I think um, if uh, Ferrari 2022-23 has a race-winning car, which we all hope it does, I think um, Charles will be given the, getting the phone call from um, uh, Mattia Bonotto just to confirm that he's getting the, he's getting the favoured treatment <laughs> on the key moments. Oh, it's a sad truth, I'm, I'm sure. Sad right. truth, sad <laughs> truth. Ferrari are very known for it, unfortunately. They can't support two drivers. It's it's just the way... It's, I think it's ingrained in their DNA, isn't it? Yeah. But, you know, Gerhard Berger, when he was teammate to Ayrton Senna, um, you know, went through quite a big experience of learning what it was like to, you know, be up against the, the best in the world. And um, when Eddie Irvine joined Ferrari to be teammate to... Michael Schumacher, Eddie asked Gerhard for advice, you know, and he said, like, how did you deal with Ayrton? How, you know, what do you recommend? And Gerhard said, well, you know, just recognize the fact that you're not going to be as quick. Uh, you're, you're there's always going to be a little bit uh, behind and enjoy it because there's a lot worse things that could happen to you in your life than being the second best Ferrari Formula One driver, you know, in the world. I mean, there's it's nothing to be ashamed of it. Enjoy every second of it and learn from them because you'll learn so much. Um, you know, so I have quite a philosophical approach to to take, but of course it's not easy for any of these young drivers to, you know, when the penny drops that you're the number two driver. You know, Valtteri Bottas has talked about it in, recently in the official Formula One podcast. I don't know if any of you listened to that, did you? Yeah, I've um, listened to it too. With Tom yeah. Clarkson. Yeah, with Tom Clarkson. I mean... You know, he just describes going, getting into the Mercedes the first time and thinking, wow, this is it, I'm going to win a championship. And then 
you know, gradually the dawning realization of just how damned good Lewis Hamilton is. <laughs> that's tough, you know. But anyway, he's had five great years there, and now he's off to pastures new. Indeed, he is. Okay, well, let's talk about the, the the McLarens then, because the McLarens are really dropping off at the moment. Although Lando Norris, after a little altercation with his ex-teammate Carlos Sainz at the start, uh, had quite a good recovery drive. Uh, what's happening with uh, McLaren though? Uh, as as a McLaren fan, Coops, are the wheels coming off? Well, I think they're thirty-something points behind Ferrari now. Mm. So if they're not coming off, they're either more or less off and in the garage and they don't have the wheels or they're, they're not getting air in the tyre. It's just the wrong time. You know, it's always about moments. You know, the McLarens were flying, they were getting one-twos. Lando Norris was pretty much up there all the time. Now, all of a sudden, they're scrambling to get in 10, 9, 8, whereas Ferrari are sitting pretty rock solid in fourth, fifth, sixth. And that Ferrari's a very reliable, stable car. Look at the last one, that the one they done before that, and Vettel's last one. I mean, that was a dog of a thing, that. Uh, but they seem to have stabilised their ship. They've got... I mean, it would be very hard not to have a stable ship when you've got Leclerc consents, who are very consistent, very level uh, performers. But, uh, yeah, M- M- McLaren, it's just unfortunate that their good times were at the start, were earlier in the season. It just gave... It's like, it's like being a Scotland fan and we were playing football tonight. You know, you don't want to <laughs> score... Yeah, thanks, Mark. Uh, <laughs> you don't want to, you don't want to score against Brazil in the first two minutes because they've got eight to eight minutes to find a goal against you, and it's kind of similar for McLaren. They've done everything at the start of the season. Uh, Ferrari kept themselves just about in touch, and then they're just bringing it back for the last few races. So it's going to need to be something monumental. Lando didn't do himself any favours at the start of the Brazil race. Although Saints apparently, I missed this, but apparently Saints apologised to Lando. Well, when I watched it, I thought Lando came over just a wee bit too soon and mm. caught his tyre on the wing. So Saints, I don't know if it was a bit of crowding. It's, it was certainly just a racing incident. It's one of those first corner, well, almost first corner kind of off the grid incidents. But yeah, I don't see McLaren keeping third place as much as it pains me to say. But no. it's, well de- it's well deserved from Ferrari. It is. Uh, and as I say, Lando got that recovery drive back, got into the points, uh, well, the point, uh, and got the, the final point on the, uh, on the on the on the grid um, for the race. Um, well, let's talk about some of the other places, uh, some of the other people. Pierre Gasly, again, was just phenomenal. Um, Cara, he, he's, he's Mr. Consistent, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, obviously he couldn't, he wasn't quite as phenomenal as Mexico, but he was still up there. Is it the sprint race he lost to yeah, he lost mm. a few places. And it's almost like um Alpine have got obviously Ocon on Alonso, they've got two really consistent drivers and then they've got Gasly up there and then Sonoda almost down there again because I was thinking about how Red Bull almost got Sonoda again this week and not that it was actually his fault in Mexico because um, it was obviously his fault that the the safety car yeah. came out um, but yeah Cassie I don't know he's one of those drivers and we spoke about it last week the prospect would he ever be able to go back to Red Bull because someone of his calibre you'd really hope he would be in a top team again but you just don't know and it almost seems like Alpine him being French would be the perfect fit but again, you, you just don't know where a team are going to be in a few years' time um, when it comes to the championship. So what I did actually want to touch on, and I think, you know, we don't talk about Haas that nicely on this podcast, um, was Mazepin. Because did you see how he was really emotional after qualifying? Mm. And I thought that was really interesting about, you know, 
that was his opportunity and how much it meant for him. And I think a lot of the times, you know, the teams at the very bottom are disregarded, but they're sort of, they're still in every race too. And they've still got something there trying to achieve every race. And I'm assuming you guys watch Top Gear, um, but Chris, Chris Harris, obviously they had um, the Formula One drivers on and he was saying how, you know, every single F1 driver deserves the utmost respect for sort of what they do out there. And I thought, oh, you know, it's probably, you know, it's fun to maybe talk down on Haas sometimes, but actually all of them do deserve that respect. And I sort of thought Mazepin often gets villain, like he gets made out to be the villain, but I thought, you know, we saw a different side to him this weekend and it's moments like that. It adds to the story and the narrative and it what's it's what makes F1 such a rounded and such a great sport. God, I'd like to hear your opinion on those those two, uh, Mark. Um, let me start with Gasly. Um, you know, we've seen this before with drivers where you put them in the white heat of a top team and they struggle because they're up against perhaps the the kingpin. As um, you know, that's a tr- and that's a trouble with Red Bull Racing. It's all based around Max and I, I don't mean that in a derogatory way to Red Bull actually the opposite they've done they've done the right thing to give Max Verstappen uh, everything he needs to try and win this championship um, and and so you know there's a kind of a beautiful elegance to a driver getting the big opportunity and not being able to hack it and then gets put back into the junior team and thrives and uh, you know, and wins a Grand Prix, and you know Gasly is you know a phenomenal talent, and Kara, you have hit the nail on the head. You know, my um, personal view is that Alpine should be hoovering, hoovering him up. Renault should be go- just saying, "We'll write a check for whatever it will take to get Gasly into that team." Not because he's French, although that definitely helps, um, but because. He's so super talented and there's a beautiful fit there. And it's interesting that Luca de Mayo, the group chief executive of Renault, was in Brazil and um, he has a, a big ambition for Alp- Alpine. Alpine, I still call him Alpine. Uh, has a big ambition for Alpine as a brand. Um, he wants Alpine to be the Renault Group's you know, high-performance brand long into the future. But he needs them to win in Formula One in the next three years not win the championship but he needs him to win the old race and become a you know proper player and you know we're talking about ferrari and mclaren battling for third place or maybe maybe the battle might be over now but i mean they're both in front of alpine and um they really need to step up you know fernando's done a really good job for them this year obviously ocon had that extraordinary result in uh, in hungary but the fact remains that on on a kind of level playing field alpine are not where they really need to go to and i think too often we apologize for their team some somehow Renault alpine is always in this state of transition you know come on guys take the gloves off we need to see a race winning car from you we need to see you pushing mercedes-benz and ferrari and red bull uh, for the championship so it's a really interesting one i think with gasly and and regarding mazapan i'm so pleased you mentioned this car because you know you go into I love social media and um, you go in there. I love having fun. I get a really good belly laugh out of it every, every day, you know, and that's, uh, uh, you know, there's so many very, very humorous people um, who follow our sport and all the rest of it. But obviously there are, there is a a nastier side to it. And um, I, you know, I'm, I'm quite 
concerned about the council culture that develops at times around certain topics. And I think, you know, there's the old thing, you know, if, if, if you haven't sinned yourself, you know, you can cast the first stone. I mean, the thing is, you know, we've all made mistakes in our life and some of them you get found out about and some of them you don't. And so most people, the older they get, they look back and they think, wow, you know, I wish I could have done things better or I wish I hadn't done done, done that. Mazapan made a mistake which was played out in the full glare of social media and I don't think the team handled it particularly well. I don't think he handled it particularly well, but he's a human being. And, you know, I think one of the great things about the uh, degree of exposure that the drivers now do have through social media and Formula One uh, official media is that we get to see the personality traits and you know what I saw at the weekend was a young guy really feeling it you know hugely disappointed probably not looking forward to the conversation with the team probably not looking forward to the conversation with his dad um, you know I just saw a young guy having a, a difficult moment and you know that's the thing about Formula One drivers you, you know again Cara you just said even the worst Formula One driver is an incredibly capable racing driver, very competent racing driver. Even if even if you haven't won in Formula Two, even if you've finished fifth or sixth in Formula Two, and you know you're half a second off the pace of your teammate in Formula One, you know you, the general public aren't going to be able to beat you in a straight fight. You're an, you're you know you've got a you've got a lot of uh, knowledge and understanding of how to make a car go quickly. So. It's a massively tough environment to to operate within. And I think all too often we somehow seem to think these Formula One drivers are wearing a coat of emotional armor. And they, they are not. They're human beings. And they have, again, you know, I'll refer to the Valtteri Bottas podcast uh, of just a couple of weeks ago with, with Tom Clarkson. You listen to that and you kind of, you know, you feel ashamed for the things that you think about Valtteri when he makes a mistake in a race. He's up against Lewis Hamilton, for goodness sake. You know, this is, you know, he's won 10 Grand Prix. He's you know, been in the pole position, you know, uh, quite often. You know, he's, was it, 19 times or 20 times pole position. So, I mean, you know, the reality is these guys are all, uh, are all good drivers and uh, huge, but they're all fundamentally... You know, human human beings like you and you and you and me. So I think you know Mazapan. I think that little moment of emotion might have humanized him and, and maybe rehabilitated him in the eyes of those who, who obviously are never willing to forgive or forget something that in fact they weren't directly involved mm. in, um, but obviously have strong opinions about. Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it's one of those things. Is it time to to forgive and forget, or just kind of allow him to have that extra chance now uh, and and whatnot? So, he, so here here's the thing I will say to you. I here's the thing I will say to you. There are a huge number of legends out there in motor racing. Legends from the history of motor racing up to, you know, when did Formula One embrace social media properly? Five years ago. Yeah, not long ago. Yeah. There are a lot of legends out there in the paddock, drivers, ex-drivers who have done things far worse than anything Nicholas Mazepin did. And it's, it just wasn't played out on social media because it didn't mm -hmm. exist. And, you know, that is, on, that is sadly the reality of the world we live in, is that, you know, people are being, people get vilified because everyone gets to know about it. There's a huge amount of, an, there's a huge amount of an iceberg below the surface. 
that no one has ever seen. Things that have happened, really poor behaviour, really, really, uh, you know, quite, quite negative behaviour from people. Never gets talked about because, you know, the journalists don't want to, they don't want to be sued and um, so on and so forth. So, you know, I think, I think particularly for the younger generations of fans following Formula One, there needs to be a realisation that if you nail all of your peers to the, to the wall, because you have something you see in social media, just remember that actually there's a large trail of destruction that has been left in the decades before by bad behavior by people down the years. And the good thing is that, and I can, this is the one time I will say this, you know, having been involved in the sport for 38 years in Formula One, Formula One in 2021, in pretty well every single area you care to think about is overwhelmingly in the best place it's ever been in terms of behavior, in terms of rules, in terms of regulations, in terms of team budgets, in terms of, it doesn't matter what facet of Formula One you want to look at at the moment, it's never been as good as it is today. And the the guys and girls who work in the sport deserve, I think, some recognition over the fact that they've all contributed to where we are today. And uh, and again, you know, going back to the beginning of the podcast, that's another thing, another reason why I wrote the book to say, actually, Formula One in 2021 is in pretty damn good shape compared to, you know, the so-called good old days, which were actually quite bad old days in so many respects. But, you know, with the passage of time, everyone's in through tinted glasses. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's move on from from because that's a, it's quite a deep, uh, deep, deep kind of part of the podcast. There, that's probably the deepest thing we've uh, we've ever spoken about. <laughs> We're not just surface We're on everything sur- F one. No, absolutely yeah. not. Uh, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> let's get a bit more get a bit more into it all. Yeah, I think that's what's so interesting though, like the psychology and everything behind it is what yeah makes the sport so like the icon that it is. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I tell I tell you what's what's hilarious is that you get people who slag off a driver on social media, and I can I mean I've experienced this where someone says, "Oh, this driver is a complete idiot," you know, and then then you introduce them. Actually, they get to meet them, and they're like, "Oh my god, I can't believe I've met this guy!" I like, "Oh my goodness," it's like they just collapse in a in a wobbling heap in front of them, and I think that's the thing, you know, with social media, there's so much distance, you know, we're protected by the anonymity on our mobile phone and we can say whatever we want. But actually the reality is, you know, meet any of these uh, men or women who work in Formula One at the coal face of the industry and, and you suddenly find as a normal human being doing something pretty ex- exceptional. And, uh, you know, it's great to have the opportunity to observe it so closely. It is, it is. Well, let's bring it back into the race uh, and the race weekend at Brazil. Coops, was there anyone else that impressed you this weekend that we haven't spoken about already? Uh, I'm not really sure about impressing necessarily. I think the Alpines did a good job. They had they got themselves into a good couple of battles kind of in the midfield. But uh, in terms of just a general incident, probably Yuki Tsunoda and Stroll in that first corner. Uh, yeah. I mean, Yuki's been so disappointing this season. After the first race, but he kind of excited everybody. We're all tipping him for doing so much better. He's just... I mean, we've got to admit, he's became the rookie we expected. I think we got a wee bit overexcited after the first race. I mean, that to, to steal the phrase from Martin Brundle, it was a daily and a dollar short, I think is the way that he called it. He called it. Mm. Straight into the side of uh, Stroll there, and Yuki got the 10 seconds, lost his wing. And 
he didn't do his, he didn't do the Big Brother team much help because that safety car really did really help to Hamilton. Uh, Stroll didn't finish Ricky. I think he was out of the points anyway, uh, and he was getting better. I think it'll be a big, a big. It's a big season for Yuki Tsunoda next year. I think with the regulations, I think he's got to kind of start showing. I think they've, I think Alpha Tauri have kind of thought right, okay, just let you enjoy this season, let you get on with it. And then next year, we kind of need to see what your what your pedigree is because you you have something that's why we put you here. So let's see it. Has anyone got any anyone else they want to speak about that they might have been impressed by or disappointed by? I mean, Alonso put in a good show, didn't he? he quietly, kind of plugging away, getting the kind of points in that Alpine team. Do you, do you think so, Cara uh, or, or, or Mark? Do you want to take that? Go ahead, Cara. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh. Um... Yeah, I mean, Alpine have sort of been, they're sort of becoming sort of the Ferrari, but a couple down. They've got two really consistent drivers there. Um, And Alonso sort of, you know, he's got that reputation from before. And we were talking last week, weren't we, about Sebastian Vettel, actually. Mm. Um, And sort of, again, on this mentality, mentality of, you know, you're a championship winner, but you're no longer in a championship winning car. And it's how you approach every race now. Um, and yeah, I think, he, I mean, I'm going to be honest, I was mainly watching Lewis at the front. So I'm like, oh, well, where was Alonso <laughs> yeah. within it all? Um, but nothing, yeah, but respect for him. And I think, yeah, the Alpine, if they keep up this consistency, and obviously we've got a lot of unknowns in the next few races, that they'll probably pit them to the post. Yeah, I think, you know, Fernando and Esteban, what they finished... Uh... Eight and ninth. And finished eighth and ninth. Yeah, you know, it was a good solid run for them. As I said earlier, they're kind of doing it, doing a solid enough job, but they're not in the forefront of Formula One. They're in, they're in that kind of midfield area, um, and they've been through some management changes. And by all accounts, they're going to go through some more management changes now, which is never a good sign because it means the team hasn't found the right structure, it hasn't found the right level, and I suspect that's partly because Renault, as a car company, don't really have a handle they, they've never really quite had a handle on how to do formula one in the current era and it's something that honda went through as you remember honda had their own formula one team uh they pulled out of formula one at the end of 20, 2008 and uh promptly gave the team to ross Braun, who then won the championship with the mercedes engine in the back which kind kind of tells you everything i think you need to know about the mistakes that honda were making in terms of the way they'd managed it up to that point and perhaps uh, to a degree the their lack of ambition, and I don't mean ambition to win, they, ha- they always have had the ambition to win, but the ambition to do the things that you need to do to win, because that that's a lot, that's a really big jump to do what it needs to, to win. And I think Alpine are very much in the same position now. And because they, you know, when I was running Cosworth, you know, I remember Renault saying to me, we need to have three customer teams to make the make the Formula One program work. Well, they've lost their, you know, they're losing their customer teams and yeah, difficult, difficult. But, you know, there's no question Fernando and Esteban have done everything that can be expected of them. And I'm sure Fernando's enjoying being back in Formula One and he's probably relishing the prospect of a reset of the regulations Mm. in um, 2022. But unfortunately, the... Passage of time waits no one, and you know he will be a year older, and uh, all those hard-charging youngsters will also be a year more experienced. Mm-hmm. 
absolutely. Um, well, there's one last thing that I want to talk about about this race. Uh, it was that that overtake that Max Verstappen uh, defended. Def- he left the best yeah, to last. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> today there's been a a news article, uh, well, several several places reporting it, but the FIA had not uh, viewed the rear-facing, or the front-facing, sorry, uh, on-board cam of Max Verstappen um, before they made the decision. Um, so we they couldn't see whether he steered towards Lewis to drive him off the track yeah. uh, in the incident. Um, so they've formed their, that opinion on the basis of the let-them-race kind of attitude. Yeah. Was that the right thing to do in this instance, Mark? It's really I, I find the whole debate so fascinating because as I said to someone earlier today, what what do people want? Would they would would everyone really have pre- preferred if yesterday's race was settled by Max being called in for a five second stop go penalty or a five second penalty being applied, or did we want to have a race where Lewis actually came back at him and, and took the victory, which is what he did. Now I would put my life on the fact that Lewis wanted to win the race in the style that he did which was he just took the fight to Max and beat him. And I think everyone's getting sidelined by the what if, you know, what if this penalty had happened? And we actually don't really want races to be decided in the steward's office four hours after the race finished. We want races to be decided in front of us with the checkered flag. And I think what we saw, I mean, despite the fact that, you know, we talked earlier on about the the 0.2 millimetre debate on um, after qualifying about Lewis's uh, DRS, what then happened in the race was the race control, not the stewards, race control took a view uh, that they would look at it, but when they looked at it, they actually thought, we'll just let them get on with it. And actually, they didn't need to go and download the, the footage of the onboard camera and look at the steering because they, they knew what they'd seen. What they'd seen... You don't need the onboard camera to tell you that Max did what he did. It was pretty damned obvious. So, I, what, what, you know, what, why do we need to go into the replay? We know what what he did. What happened, however, was that Max didn't put Lewis off the track and Max continue on his merry way. He actually put both of them off the track. And so the view was, I and I'm I'm quite sure this is the case, that race control had a look at it and thought, well, actually... Max has been a bit stupid there. They haven't collided. They've both gone off the track onto runoff, which is tarmac. So they've not gone over the gravel. There's been no no nasties there. They've both rejoined the track in the same order. You could argue Max has benefited from that. But actually, what happened? Lewis came back and over... It, it would have been a completely different scenario if Max had actually banged into Lewis, taken his front wing end plate off or... Whatever it would have also been a completely different scenario if Max had banked wheels with Lewis, put Lewis off the track, maybe into retirement, and continued on his merry way. That would have been a new ball game. Race control decided, okay, let's have a look at this. Let them crack on, and it, I, I think in that respect it was the right uh, decision. I understand Hamilton fans saying, oh well, it's not fair because you know uh, if the FIA disqualified Lewis on, fr- forget it. Just, you know, your driver won the race. He put in the most epic performance of all time. Focus on the positives. And let's not get too carried away with the what-ifs about the penalties because, you know, I the, the sport has come a long way from, 
you know, the Schumacher Senate era when people actually intentionally drove straight into one another in the most aggressive manner, you know, possible. Um, and, you know, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? You know, Lewis grabs Senna's flag and he's driving around the track at the end of the race. You know, Ayr Ayrton Senna, you know, absolutely a legend in our sport, as Michael was, but both of them introduced a style of driving, which actually today wouldn't be acceptable. Um, and it, it, to some extent, has tainted their legacies. And it's a style of driving that Lewis doesn't get into. And, you know, Max, as I said earlier on, um, you know, with his Gandalf defence, you know, it's, he's not going to intimidate Lewis. And it'll be really unfortunate if, you know, we get to the end of this championship and it's settled on the basis of a collision. Um, that that's that's for me is going to be really tragic because actually I think both these drivers and both these teams have a formidable opportunity just to show us wheel to wheel racing and not get too involved in in disputes. But uh, my word, what a moment that was! And uh, we all you know breathed a collective sigh of relief when we saw both the cars continue on their merry way. Yeah, and I and I agree with you there, Mark. Um, I I completely agree that we should let them race, but I fear that the season hasn't necessarily been consistent with the with the rule, <laughs> with the rulings that the FIF kind of dished out and that's where the kind of you know the gray areas that we're, that we're talking about sh shouldn't necessarily be there it, it's been okay for max and i agree as i say it should be okay for them to you know let them race i i, I think the one at silverstone they should have con continued on i don't think that you know people did deserve deserve penalties and 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 same again for for max laser down the line i'm i'm all for them letting them race but unfortunately they have set precedents uh, this season and it's really difficult to understand how they can kind of go from one to another to another and how do how do the drivers know um, what to do, uh, if, if that makes sense. I think, you know, it's interesting. Jonathan Noble at motorsport.com, um, uh, you know, posted a, a tweet today about the fact that there's a precedent in the Sergio Perez London Norris collision, at, um, or not collision, but being run off the track, Sergio being run off the track by Landon Norris in Austria. And I went back and watched the video. And to me, it's totally different because what actually happened there was that. Sergio twice tried to come around the outside. Lando kept running him wide. Second time he ran him wide, he actually ran Sergio off the track onto the gravel, and he went from just behind Lando to 10th place. He dropped, I think, seven or eight places, plus he ran across the gravel, whereas Lando stayed on the on the tarmac, on the racetrack. And I think there is a difference. So, the, you know, when people say, well, that's inconsistent with what happened yesterday, I don't see that at all because... If both the cars run off the track into a wide tarmac run area, runoff area, and then both happily rejoin, no damage, no places lost, that that requires a very different outcome from a driver running a driver wide onto the gravel and f effectively destroying his race. So, you know, I think the inconsistency thing might actually also apply to the criticism of the FIA. There is. There's different ways of looking at all these incidents. All I can say is, you know, you wouldn't want to be in race control or being a steward <laughs> making these decisions. You know, I mean, some of these people must go home to their families and have their kids waiting, going, what the hell are you doing? You know, what was wrong with that decision at the weekend? You know, so, yeah, fantastic, fantastic uh, additional drama 
Not that we needed it. No, I suppose the cra- it, it, referees are, are kind of, you know, they're, they're shouted at during football matches. Uh, <laughs> it's, is it one of those things? It's just one of those roles that nobody should ever really enjoy doing because you're always going to get vilified if you make the wrong decision for a certain team or a certain driver or a certain, you know, it, it, it's one of those things, isn't it, I guess? Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, and the, then you've got the whole pantomime of, of Jonathan Wheatley and Ron Meadows on the radio to Michael Massey. And uh, you, you tend to have these incredibly grumpy-sounding team players going, Michael, it's completely out of order. X, Y, Z just happened and it shouldn't be allowed and whatever. And then you have this kind of slightly mild-mannered Australian accent coming on and saying, well, actually, guys, you know, we've had a look at it and it's all okay. And you kind of think... There's, a, there's almost a degree of bullying going on, you know, and and, and I, it, it does make me wonder, you know, and I, I'd love to talk to Michael Massey about it because it does make me wonder, you know, obviously Charlie Whiting, when he was, was race director, ha, had the respect of everyone and had many decades of experience. And, and, you know, I would safely say everyone in Formula One looked up to him. And I think that Michael, again, you know, going back to the point we were talking about Mazapan and getting uh you know getting vilified on social media you know massey hasn't been given an easy ride by anyone and you could say that's because he's you know made some controversial decisions or appeared to make controversial decisions in the opinion of armchair enthusiasts um but he's in a difficult role and not only that his role is now public where you know he quite you know i saw, I saw him dragged in front of a camera i think it was in spa to explain the two-lap wonder of a race you know sky sports dragged him in front of you can you explain yourself in front of the global audience and to my mind that's not his job you know the fia should be putting someone else up as a spokesperson because michael massey's job is to is an incredibly complex task of running the race and you know that kind of additional pressure that comes with you know the public scrutiny that is being put under um is uh, is a really interesting one to to think about how that's managed so i do think that perhaps there's a structure that could be improved i don't think that the way the fia runs formula one was ever designed for the way that Formula One is now in 2021 with multiple streams and channels and and radio communications and all the rest of it. So I'm, I kind of wonder if the structure of the way the FIA governs the sport is, is fit for the real-time media, social media environment that we're in now. And uh, yeah, that kind of, yeah, the, the, week, the weekly Meadows Massey conversations on Sunday were just another part of the the soap opera we witnessed being unfolded i'm loving it i, I love i love that that, that was a, an ingenious idea whoever whoever thought that must get a, an extra bonus in their pay packet at, one, at, at some point <laughs> this uh, this season for sure um okay well that's that, i mean that's pretty much all we need to talk about about brazil really it was a great weekend i've really enjoyed it i was on the edge of my seat the whole weekend uh, i was just aghast at the uh, disqualifications and the the fact that a driver can actually come from 20th all the way to the to, to win the, the main race uh, it was just a, a superb uh, event really uh, and, and, and one that we'll be speaking about for a long time 
Let's move on to the preview. It's only just going to be kind of predictions, really, uh, for for what you expect, what you're expecting for the Qatar Grand Prix. The Qatar Grand Prix is going to be this weekend. It's the last in a triple header at the La Salle International Circuit. Now, the length of the circuit is five point three eight zero kilometers. Total race distance of three hundred six point six six kilometers. And we're going to get fifty seven laps. Um, so we haven't got a lap record there because it's the first Grand Prix. Um, what are you expecting, Mark? Uh, have you looked at the circuit? Uh, do you think it's going to be a good a good circuit? Do you think it's going to be a raceable? Yeah. Uh, overtake uh, drivers going to be able to overtake there? Yeah, I've I've I'm, I've been there. Um, oh, well, okay. Quite a, quite a while ago, I went out there um, on a business trip to Doha and uh, went out and visited the circuit, which at that time was configured. Uh, exclusively for motorcycle racing. And in fact, it was one of the things that we talked to them about was that they couldn't, because they, the Qataris couldn't understand why Formula One couldn't come there, but it, it the circuit wasn't configured for Formula One and it didn't meet Formula One safety standards, or I think also width standards. I think it was too narrow in a couple of places. Anyway, they've done all the work that's necessary. I think it will be a really interesting weekend because irrespective of how much data the teams have from the FIA about the circuit and can simulate uh, that the reality is that when you go to a new track um, you never quite know how that circuit is going to evolve and yes you know you can look at it and see is it a slow speed circuit a medium speed circuit a high speed circuit and you can you can come into it with a pretty good expectation of where you're going to be at but it only requires one assumption to be wrong and suddenly you're left, you know, scratching your head. And I think, so I think the fact that the next two Grand Prix are on new tracks, newly surfaced tracks, um, there's there's going to be something, plus the drivers don't know them. You know, this is a whole, a whole bunch of things that suddenly come to the fore with these tracks. So, you know, let's face it, it's going to be Mercedes against Red Bull again in terms of going for uh, the race win in all likelihood, unless they trip each other up. And as we reach this climax of the championship, there's going to be an even greater degree of team support for Max and Lewis. And we, we're, we've been seeing this increasingly with Sergio and with Valtteri. You know, they are, there's no longer any pretense about, uh, you know, the, the kind of, both drivers going for it, they're absolutely in the business of supporting the championship contenders. So we're going to see strategies playing out, which are going to play to that. Baltery actually is doing what he needs to do with the qualifying uh, approach that he's been taken, and you know he's he seems to be really in a happy place, <laughs> not able to deliver on the Sunday. Uh, but then he's not supposed to deliver on the Sunday because that's Lewis's job. So, you know, you've got, I, I think, again, so Valtteri in, is injecting something really interesting there into qualifying because he he'll, he will um, be in the mix looking to get on the front row with Lewis, hopefully locking the front row of the grid out. And I, I have the impression that Valtteri is more able to help Lewis lock out than perhaps Sergio is. And I may be being a little bit unfair on Sergio, but just Valtteri... Going back to you know, see Carrie, you said earlier on the season Sergio had a had a few issues, and certainly after he re-signed his contract, he had a few weekends which he'd he'd like to have forgotten about. So, I think you know the 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 support structure, you know, Valtteri and Sergio supporting Max and Lewis is going to be is going to be really important. But you know, can you imagine 
how motivated Lewis is going into this weekend after that victory. I mean, he must have a, an adrenaline high like you can't believe. You know, it's just like he can't wait to get out there in in LaSalle and uh, go for it. And then equally, Max, you know, he'll be, you know, Max is very, he's, he comes across quite calmly these days, but, you know, he will not have been happy at all to finish second. Damage limitation, forget it. He doesn't want damage limitation. He wants to win the championship. So I think, you know, both of them, they'll be going absolutely toe-to-toe. And I, you know, just hope the circuit promotes some great racing. And it's uh, interesting. I saw a, a post that if a post earlier, and I kind of did the math mathematics myself as well. If Lewis wins uh, and Max comes second at the next two races, I mean that's not that's not a massive ask, really. That's you know that's well within the realms of possibility that they'll be heading into Abu Dhabi, level pegging on points, and it really will be a, a last race kind of showdown to the championship. Can you imagine? I oh. mean, can you imagine? And it, and let's face it, it's not it's not beyond the realms of possibility, but. There's there's such a range of things that could happen, including, you know, can you imagine if, um, and I'm not wishing this, by the way, so if anyone's a Max fan, I'm not trying to wish this, but, you know, if there was a Max DNF, uh, you know, Lewis could be leading the championship going into Saudi Arabia. Then if you had a Lewis DNF, I mean, who knows what can happen? So there's there's a whole ton of things, and um, this is what's making it the precise opposite of what, we've kind of had to endure in some of the previous seasons where everything has felt just a little bit too predictable. So, yeah, it's 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 looking good. Looking at the circuit, I I have to say my my money is on Red Bull quite enjoying it. Um oh, okay. and I think, you know, there's there, yes, there is a straight, but I I think the I think, you know, the 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 Mercedes the longer wheelbase Mercedes despite the fact they've done some amazing development on it. Some of that stop-go nature in Qatar might play to the strengths that we have seen with Red Bull, for example, in Sector 2 in Interlagos and, of course, at the Mexican uh, track altitude notwithstanding. So, you know, it might well just turn out that we're going to go from a Mercedes-dominant weekend to a Red Bull-dominant weekend. So it'll, it'll be swings and roundabouts. But, yeah... Level pegging into the last race. Can you imagine? <laughs> That's Social the, media meltdown. That is the that is the dream. Um, although I, I I kind of want it decided before then because I'm flying away to Lapland on uh, <laughs> on, the, on the day of the final race, which is just a shame. <laughs> Never mind. I just That's have bad to... timing. Oh, really terrible timing. Uh, yeah. Are you you're, you're telling yeah. us what, what do you want for Christmas? Is the championship <laughs> to be tidied tidied up at the penultimate race? My goodness. No, no, no. I, I I'm I'm happy for it to to go to all the way. Um, I just have to miss it live. Oh, well. Have you been to Lap? Have you been to Lapland before? No, no. Yeah, the, okay. We, we we definitely wanted to take the kids before the the magic disappears. If you know what I mean. I've got a nine year old, so that's well, very close. Well, I, I can uh, I can recommend it. It's great up there. And uh, Valtteri Bottas has has just built a new house, which is sort of three hours north of Kittela. Now I've been to Kittela, which is right up there the, near the Arctic Circle, and mm-hmm. he's three hours north of there again. And I love the fact that the new house he's building there has only one bedroom in it. And he was asked, you know, why do you only have one bedroom? And he said, well, we just don't want any guests. Um, <laughs> I think, uh, you know, I just I, I think Valtteri is one of Formula One's un, 
unheralded un, um, heroes. The, the, you know, Lewis turns up with a Senna-inspired helmet, and Valtteri turns up with a coffee-inspired <laughs> helmet. I mean, that's just. I mean, he's 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 uh, on a different level. Mr. Porridge himself. <laughs> let's 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 have a top three then from from each of you before we move on. Uh, Cara, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to put you on the spot. We haven't heard your voice for a little while. Top three for oh. Qatar. I think, again, going to play it safe. And from what I've read as well, it's looking like it might suit Red Bull. But then again, I don't think I don't know if that means anything. Um, so I'm going to go Max, Lewis, Sergio. Coops, your top three. Uh, I'm going to have to copy Caro on this one. Oh, uh, cool. To Max, Max, Lewis, Sergio, I think. I don't see it really being anything else, to be honest. I want I would I want Lewis to win because like all of us I want it well maybe not now you James because you're flying <laughs> off but I want it to go down to the last race um, but yeah just it would be so it would be incredible. Mark, so you you you've said Red Bull, so I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be a Max Verstappen win for you. Okay, so if this turns out to be the top three, I want you to quote me in your review. Okay, <laughs> we will. Lewis Perez, Valtteri. What's going to happen to Max? He's going to go off somewhere, is he? He's, he's, he's gone. He's gone yeah. off. He's got. He's mm. gone off. We're going into Saudi Arabia with Lewis leading the championship, and everyone will be screaming. Well, I think that's what we want. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, Not and then Max stages a Max. massive comeback in uh, in in Saudi. Anyway, I, I I'm of a belief that there will be more. More, more interesting um, events. Yeah. I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna join. Well, let's be fair. Let's, let's, let's go back to last week's prediction. I got the first two correct. I didn't. I said Lando Norris would be third, so I was way off there. But I got, I got number one and number two correct for. That was good. That was uh, a good Brazil. call. That was a good call. It's not too bad. It's not too bad. Um, and I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say this momentum that Lewis has got. Even if the car isn't as uh, as strong, uh, which I I don't think we can say that really at the moment because I think there's something extra with that uh, Mercedes now. Um, I'm going to say uh, Lewis Hamilton first. I'm going to say I'm going to say I'm going to say Max Verstappen second. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to keep him there, uh, and I'll say Val- Valtteri Bottas in third. Okay, oh, we got a few permutations there. <laughs> right. Uh, so we have got uh, Mark here. You were brilliant at dropping the a- anecdotes last time uh, you you were on. Uh, have you got any more anecdotes from your life uh, within Formula One that you would like to share? Okay, so I'll tell you a, a little story that I have included in my book, um, which is that um, at the and this is quite a poignant story. Sorry, I'm going to bring the mood down a little bit, but anyway, it's kind of a bit of a big moment in in uh, in the grand scheme of things. So uh, Japanese. Japan Pacific Grand Prix race, not Pacific Grand Prix team, Pacific Grand Prix race, um, April 1994. Uh, I'm driving into the track with Keith Wiggins, who owned a Formula One team called Pacific Grand Prix, which was not a very competitive team. And uh, Wiggy, as he was known uh, from Norfolk, uh, he fancied himself as a bit of a driver. And the track we were on, the road we were on, was a single track road into the track. And we had this 
this Honda came up behind us and was flashing its lights and trying to overtake and uh, Keith was having none of it so we, we raced this car the whole way to the track and uh, it was all a bit hairy anyway when we got to the track the marshals waved us into the Formula 1 team principals and drivers car park and can you believe it we took the last place in the car park which meant that the car behind us had to go into the overflow car park which had potholes and had <laughs> and everything so about 10 minutes later the door of my office was actually kicked open like as a foot put up against it kicked open and it was out in the center and he was like i won't say the language but lots of expletives he was like <laughs> been hell and uh, what were you guys doing? And Keith and I were like, oh, my God. You know, he was properly angry, and he was really shouting at us. And uh, we were like, really sorry. Was that you behind us? And he was like, yeah, you know, like, what the hell are you doing? I'm trying to get into the track. And and then he just, we suddenly realized that he was joking because this little smile suddenly played on his face. And he started laughing, and he said, you guys, that was the most fun I've had. That was great. You know, how are things? And he started having a chat and, and stood chatting for you know, I suppose about 15 minutes about all kinds of stuff, you know, um, racing and life and travel and all the rest of it. And that was exactly two weeks before he lost his life in uh, San Marino. And it's something that I related in the book because I think when you work in the sport, again, going back to what I talked about earlier on with Mazapan and, and, uh, and Valtteri and that, you know, you, you you get to meet the the people and uh, the humanity behind the sport, and you know, the, just those that little cameo of of Ayrton, and I I often think about it whenever he he's mentioned because it was just a little tiny little glimpse into the personality that he was. So there's an Ayrton Senna story to finish uh, on the review of a Grand Prix where Lewis was wrapped in the Brazilian flag and paying homage to his hero that's a, a very a very good story really good so you beat Ayrton Senna or you... it's a, yeah well <laughs> you were in a co- I was co-driver to the driver who was co-driver Ayrton Senna I can't even lay claim to having beaten Ayrton Senna but uh, yeah that was uh, uh, that was it you were going to promote your book one more time and for one of our lucky listeners yes. would you have a a copy for them, did yeah, you say? Yeah. How are we going to do that? Are we going to run a competition? I think we should run a competition. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe maybe we can reference your your conversation that you, your story that you've just said there. Yeah. Basically, if they can answer answer a question on your anecdote. Yeah, exactly. So at which Grand Prix did I end up racing Ayrton Senna into the car park? And yeah, how are they going to submit their answers? Are they going to submit them to you by on Twitter or email or what? Yep, so we've, we're on social media, all social media platforms. We'll promote the podcast yep. and we'll promote the competition on there. So if you want to comment where it was that Mark was in a, a race with Ayrton Senna, <laughs> um, you can comment, yeah, <laughs> you can so, comment on just, any, uh, any of the posts. And and whichever whichever one you pick at random from all the mil- millions of entries that you get will, <laughs> will win a copy of my book signed to them personally by me and David Coulthard. I realized, wow, what a prize. I, re- I realised David, David Coulthard always says to me that his signature brings the value of the book down a little bit. Uh, <laughs> but I, I would dispute that. Um, so, yeah, there's a copy of my book signed by me. It'll be signed to the person personally. So whoever you want it for, if it's not for you, it might be for your sister or your mother or your brother or whoever. It'll be signed to them personally and by me and 
DC. Yeah, brilliant. So if you comment that on any of the posts that we talk about the podcast or any, or I'll put a competition post up as well for you to do that. Um, just comment there. You might you might be the winner of that prize. That's a fantastic prize, and I'm I'm very jealous myself. That's all right. Um, I'll I'll send you one. In the, I'll send you a Christmas present, uh, James, when you get back from Lapland. Oh, thank you. That sounds good. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to share it with the team, though. That's the yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll we'll send it around each other. Do have our own little read. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mark, for coming along. Uh, it, it's it's been an absolute pleasure as always. Um, we would absolutely love to speak to you again in the future again um, because you, you really are very interesting to talk to thanks very much pleasure always a pleasure hopefully let's talk next year and we'll see how 2022 unfolds absolutely well see you and thanks very much and, and enjoy your flight tomorrow thanks so much alright bye bye so that was the Everything F1 podcast uh, that was Mark Gallagher thanks very much for coming along uh, we also have had two of the Everything F1 team along with me we've got Cara and we've had Coops thank you very much for coming today you two thank you I hope you've enjoyed it Coops yes yes it was awesome brilliant uh, and we will speak to you all next week where we've got Craig Scarborough coming along for a conversation uh, and reviewing the Qatar Grand Prix with us. So we will see you then. In the meantime, you can head over to our social channels. We're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Uh, we've also got our website, www.everythingf1.com. And because you listen to us on this podcast, you can also hit the subscribe button to make sure you get all of our latest podcasts in your earlobes as soon as they drop. But once again, this has been the Everything F1 podcast. We will speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.